Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we'll be taking a broad look at the global economy and individual equity markets. We're going to be looking at the markets here in the UK, as well as what's happening over in the United States and touching on Europe. Um, But before we get into the podcast, just a quick note to listeners, there's two events coming up that we want to make you aware of. There's a Master Investor Show on the 9th of March in Islington. Do check out the notes of this podcast. There'll be a link through to that to get yourself signed up. As well as on the 13th of March, UK Investor Magazine is hosting an investor conference at the London Stock Exchange Group on Paternoster Square. And there's still some tickets available. Also check out the notes to this podcast where you can get yourself signed up. If you're able to make it in person, fantastic. But if you're not, there is the availability to join us virtually and watch the investor presentations. So back to the subject for today, it is going to be a broad discussion of equity markets, somewhat taking a tactical approach to things. And to do that, we're very kindly joined by Mark Kimsey, who is the director of FNO Research. Mark, thank you for being on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jonathan. It's good to be with you again. So we're going to be looking at individual markets but we're also going to be looking mark i believe a little bit later on in the podcast that individual ideas there's a couple of um, tips that you've had from the research service that we're going to be making available in the notes of this podcast and we're going to be discussing those in some detail later on in the podcast but i think it's going to be important to set the scene because so far this year we're very early on in 2024 But it has been a market that's been driven by the macro picture, not so much in the last two weeks in the midst of earnings season. But there is an overarching theme of people looking at, first of all, underlying growth levels, as well as what's going to be happening with interest rates. Of course, we've seen a big rally in the United States. We haven't seen so much of a rally here in the UK. And that's probably a subject that we're going to touch on and look at what's happening there. But looking at what's happening from your point of view, Mark, over the next few months, going into the summer, and of course, we've got elections later on this year, how do you see equity markets developing from where they are at the moment? Um, This isn't going to be music to the ears of investors, but I, I, I see it tracking sideways, probably for the most part of the next two quarters. Q1's nearly over with, and then we head into spring, summer, we'll sell in May, and go away, come into force this year, perhaps with investors then looking to return in September and the run up to those elections that you mentioned. And the reason I think it's likely to be a broader sideways movement is that I think we're just in a comfortable spot right now. The markets are trading nice and high. There are still pockets of performance that are keeping people engaged. But am I overly enthusiastic about a rampant rally from these dizzy heights? Probably not. I can't see right now what the catalyst for that would be. We are trading at record levels stateside in Japan. The Australian ASX has hit a record high in recent times. So too the German DAX. So we are nice and frothy, nice and buoyant. So to get excited about uh, you know big moves from here is something that I'm I'm unable to 
to, to get behind. But equally, I don't see enough flashing warning lights to be fearful of a great retracement either. Economic activity still appears to be buoyant enough. GDP readings are still healthy enough. Employment levels are still strong. Wages have been rising. And so I feel that we could be in a situation where there's both a ceiling and a floor for these uh, equity markets as we move forward towards those distant election periods. So you, you mentioned the, the elections there. Uh, of course, we've got them here in the UK and the United States, but for the global economy and, and the biggest impact on global equities, of course, all eyes are going to be on the United States. And it's quite interesting from a statistics point of view that if you go from 1928 up to 2016, the average return for the S&P 500 in an election year is 11.28%. So almost always positive for the S&P 500. But we've had a very sharp rally already in the S&P 500 so far this year. And it goes back to that point, Mark, that you made that you see things trading sideways. Given that we've got on the horizon interest rate decisions coming and and we're seeing a realignment in interest rate futures at the moment. At one point, just a a few months ago, uh, money markets were actually pricing in up to seven interest rate hikes by the the Federal Reserve. Now, of course, they, they didn't take the first opportunity to do that. And the rhetoric has been very recently that they're not going to be moving in March. So does this set up in the very near term, potentially, some disappointment. Um, looking at where we are at the S&P 500, and this is, of, of course, can be applied to uh, the, the FTSE 100, that we've had this rally at the beginning of this year. If you see the markets moving range-bound um, throughout the rest of this year, we've, of course, got, got May coming up, but then these big, uh, big dates coming in in March. Do, do you think that we're probably getting towards the top um, of the range at the moment and we could see a bit of weakness that will present buying opportunities in the coming months? Yeah, I think in, a, in an upward moving market, the idea is to always buy the dip until such time that the market direction changes and then you have to uh, adopt the, a slightly different strategy. So yes, I would be in favour of buying significant dips in good quality Companies, But to touch on the two themes that you mentioned there with the incoming elections, the reason election years are usually quite good for equity markets is because every politician will say everything that everybody wants to hear, Um, regardless of what side of the aisle you find yourself on. Those that are in power or or, or those that are already elected will give you lots of reasons to stick with them. Um, And those that are fighting for the hot seat will give you plenty of reasons to vote for them. And it's usually a case of lowering taxes, perhaps um, tinkering with legislation, uh, legislation, sorry, to grease the wheels of big business, uh, tax cuts, you name it, they'll be feeding us everything we want to to hear. When they get into power, they tend to not do half the things that they pledge they will. Um, But the market is spoon-fed everything that it wants to hear in the run-up too. That's why I think this uh, this year will probably have a supportive floor 
um, uh, beneath it for equity values um, because we are going to be hearing. Um, and we heard from Jeremy Hunt actually just earlier this week um, that he uh, is unlikely to expand funding for the defence sector. Um, now, you know, the defence sectors are, are, are always well funded by the, the governments and uh, that's probably because they're lobbied hard by said sector. Um, but this, again, I think is a move to appease uh, the electorate because there are pockets of, um, uh, you know, the, the, the wider public that are perhaps uh, growing a little... Um, a, a little disjointed with the constant funding of conflicts, um, you know, in places like Ukraine, for example, without, you know, uh, uh, acknowledging the empathy that's required for those situations. And so him already saying that perhaps he's going to rein in the, uh, the, 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 the funds available for that sector, I think, is already a nod to telling the people what they want to hear. Um, and then if we move on to the uh, inflation situation, inflation is, is cooling, as we know. That's been uh, well documented over, over the last year or so now, um, with, with each print seemingly coming in cooler than the last one for the most part. Um, and just looking here, I think the US and Eurozone is around 3% inflation, UK a bit higher at 4 but certainly nowhere near those double-digit numbers that we were, we were experiencing probably the best part of a year ago. Um, getting those last uh, percentage points off will be the most challenging. So I would have thought that the further cooling from here will be incremental. Um, I think the excitement behind interest rate cuts, it has probably been uh, a, a bit too eu euphoric. Um, I, I think the market's gone early on assuming there'll be cuts. I think there there will be, but uh, far fewer than, than what's anticipated, maybe two or three this year for the Fed, I might speculate, um, because it would make perfect sense for the central banks to hold this ammunition back. Uh, you know, we've seen the UK, Germany and Japan this year fall into recession and uh, central banks do like to have at their disposal um, uh, you know, a number of trump cards that they can play to try and get the economy going if it starts to stutter. And on the basis that it isn't stuttering right now, I think going early with interest rate cuts would almost be exhausting some of their options unnecessarily. Indeed, it's, it's, been, it's been my view for probably the, the last six months that we're not actually going to see any interest rate cuts until we see fallouts in the economy and also equity markets. Whenever uh, we see pressure on the equity markets, particularly in the United States, that's when you start to see central banks wanting to step in and, and ease. If the financial conditions remain stable, and of course, equity markets are a big part of that, they have no reason. You know, If they were to do it and preempt it, they really do play their cards before they're, they're in a situation that they have to. And when things do start to deteriorate, it has less impact uh, on markets and also the underlying economy. So going back to the point that you made at the beginning that we, you see a range bound year, I think that's another point that does support uh, the range bound nature of equities that we're going to see this year, because we're, we're near the highs at the moment. But I don't think that we're going to see any major reaction from the central banks until equity markets tell them that 
no, now, now's the time to to do it. If we see the S and P five hundred continue to, to to make record highs, you know, why would the the Federal Reserve move to to cut interest rates? Now, of course, that's a highly concentrated market at the moment, very much on the AI story. I mean, if you strip out the magnificent seven. The rest of that market's not been doing particularly well. The small cap market in the United States isn't doing particularly well. But people looking at the headline figure of the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones will be happy with the way things are going. And of course, the US economy at the moment is doing particularly well, given the the higher interest rate environment and inflation still remaining above the target. So we're going to move on now market and look at the the tactical approach to equities this year because look at the range bound market of course there's a trading range there that can be played but I want to take a little bit more of a closer look at individual sectors and really ask the question do do you feel going forward for the the rest of 2024 that this is a stock pickers market 100% 100% it's a, a stock picker's market now. Um, when you're trading at these sort of frothy uh, valuations in terms of the, the levels of the indices themselves, you don't benefit from that 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 overarching rally in equity markets, which just takes everything with it. You know, if you go back to, um, you know, the sort of COVID low for the FTSE 100, um, I think we traded as low as about 4,000, 4,500 points, something like that. Um, now we find ourselves ourselves at sort of 7,500 points. So that's a, let's call it a 3,000 point rally. Well, during that time, I would hazard a guess that every single stock has gone up. There might be the odd exception, but it really would be one or two stocks. So when you're trading generally low and then moving into perhaps a, a recovery or bull market phase, um, you know, picking winners is easy. When you're at the upper end of valuations, now you've really got to sift through and find those nuggets uh, in amongst the the, the the wider market. And so uh, I think, you know, to echo, um, you know, the, the, the simplistic approach that I always like to remind investors of, which is buy low, sell high. Yes, Mark, thanks for teaching us the ABCs, but it's often overlooked the amount of people that have spoken with me recently saying, Mark, should I buy NVIDIA? Well, NVIDIA, we had in our top picks 2023, just over a year ago, at $166. That's when we said, you might be interested in this company. It recently topped $800. So it shows you that it's quite difficult for investors to overcome FOMO, fear of missing out, um, when they see these rampant stocks and actually get sidetracked from that um, very simplistic buy low, sell high. So for me, getting to a point of what we should try and identify as an opportunity, sometimes it's just a process of elimination. So I'm finding it hard to get behind tech at the moment. Um, Generally speaking, it's, of course, always going to have its place and it's so innovative that you know, it's something that you can't ignore and perhaps a sector that you should never not have in your portfolio, but it's hard to find, um, in, in, in quotation marks, a cheap tech stock right now because that sector's just been on a tear and I'm fearful that entering now at 200, 300, 400, 500% up over 12, 18 months is a bit of a value trap that I don't really want to walk into. Um, so I, I would probably, you know, turn a shoulder to the tech sector. I think with... 
um, a rather sort of stagnant global economy right now. I'm finding it hard to get behind um, oil and and and, uh, and base metals. Um, you know, China's currently trying to stimulate its, its economy with a whole host of different measures, which is one, a positive, but two, if you're having to stimulate your economy, that means it's probably not functioning um, quite as adequately as you would like. They're a big consumer of these commodities. And so um, I feel like oil or uh, some of the base metals, a, a bit like the wider markets, is probably capped from running uh, you know, significantly higher, but I also feel like there's a significant flaw in there on the basis that economies are still chugging away quite nicely, that they're unlikely to decline. So I'm finding it hard to get excited about that. And actually, before today's call, I was sort of reminding myself of, of some of the sectors that I, I <coughs> excuse me, that I do quite like. And, and I sort of came full circle to um, back in the consumer once again, um, it was the consumer that was hit hardest in the pandemic period. And we saw, you know, retail, leisure, travel, um, all of these uh, industries sort of, you know, re really, really hit the brakes. Um, that then leaked into things like banking for fear of defaults and uh, the property market for, you know, people's uh, uh, sort of employment uncertainty and income you know we you remember those crazy days of furlough and all the rest of it but i think now that the consumer is probably in a in a far better place i think that the cost of living has fallen um quite significantly from those high levels probably still higher than pre-pandemic levels but i think people are a bit more confident in their own personal circumstance at the moment and i think a lot of those consumer focused stocks um, that were hit in the pandemic have been slow to recover. And so to throw a few names at you and to give the listeners some some things to perhaps go away and conduct some further research on, um, JD Sports was a company that stuck out uh, to me that actually featured in one of our uh, chartist documents recently, currently trades at 118 pence per share. Just three months ago, it was £1.80. Um, not to say that it hasn't had its uh, its troubles, which have been well documented in the press, but to get back to just where it was a few months ago, is a 50% increase. Um, IAG, we still find interesting, uh, regardless of how tight things might become for households. Um, people are reluctant to deprive themselves uh, a, a week in the sun. Uh, and so at about £1.50 pre-pandemic, these were £6 a share. So they're still 75% down on where they once were. Um, Taylor Wimpy, interesting, trading at £1.30. Again, pre-pandemic levels. This was twice the price and actually not that long ago um, was trading uh, perhaps towards the sort of 180 level as well. So potential upside there. And we're seeing that generally UK house prices are increasing, interest rates are lower, activity in buying has increased. And and we see that maybe filter through into Barclays as well, trading at £1.60, uh, just got an ex-dividend today. Um, but that's been improving quite nicely. That just did actually hit a take profit on one of our chartist documents. Um, but that doesn't mean that we would walk away from it at this point. Um, still potential upside maybe to the sort of £2 mark as well. And they might benefit from this kind of Goldilocks, not too hot, not too cold interest rate environment. Um, interest rates are high enough for them to be making decent margins from, but low enough 
that people are prepared to borrow. And of course, with that not too high level, also, we uh, de-risk a little bit on the kind of default threat as well. So there's just a few names there that we quite like the look of. And with this sort of buy low, sell higher, simplistic mentality, they're kind of ticking that box as well. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mark. So there's a couple of stocks that I want to pick up on there and get your views about the that the wider environment for them. First of all, Taylor Wimpy and the house building sector, and of course the UK housing market. I'm going to start with uh, with a million dollar question here. The, the run that they've had over the last two years has been terrible. Of course, they've picked up recently significantly off the lows, not just Taylor Wimpy, but Persimmon and, and most of the other house builders listed on the FTSE 350. Do you think we've seen the lows for this current cycle in that sector, Mark? I, I could never say no to, to that question on any stock in any sector because you, you just never know. But I, I am reassured by the recent improvement. Certainly nearer a pound, Taylor Wimpy makes even more sense because from a technical perspective, you can associate some significance with a pound. Um, but the fact that it's bounced off it again recently, I mean, the last visit to £1 a share was in October last year, and we've had a nice run from there up to £1.50. Yes, we're now back in the £1.30s. Um, but this is what what I've quite enjoyed seeing with this stock is they gave a trading update yesterday, and they said that, uh, firstly, their trading update was in line with expectations, albeit down versus the prior year, but that was expected. And they did say that they were going to be building less houses this year. Now, all of the house builders do this in um, you know, in good times, they'll build more houses because they want to be selling them at the more preferable price points. And when things are not so buoyant, they'll just hold off and again, you know, sort of start churning out the houses when it's more profitable to do so. So that's that's obviously good, uh, good, good management there from from the, the you know the the executive suite. But what I like about this recent update is although they said that they're going to build fewer houses, there was a knee-jerk reaction yesterday with the shares falling almost 5%. But one 5% isn't a, you know, throw yourself out the window kind of retracement. But furthermore, today, shares are up nearly 2%. So already that 5% knee-jerk is being bought into by some market participants. And I find that encouraging. Yes, indeed, indeed. And the other one that I want to pick up on is, is JD Sports because it's a stock that, that I like personally. It's, you know, of course, it's got a huge footprint here in the UK, but it's been making moves into North America in a big way in recent years. I think looking at the last report, they're generating a similar amount of revenue now from North America as they are from, from the UK. So that gives some, some context to it. But looking at that sector, maybe not just JD Sports, and you did allude to it when you mentioned the, the company, Mark. Is this at the moment one of the best value sectors that you can find in the FTSE 350? Of course, they, that the consumers had the problems of the, the cost of living crisis, higher interest rates. That's really eroding discretionary spend. And, and that's the, the spending that will go into to JD Sports. But given that has been baked into the price over the last uh, year or so, especially from JD Sports when they missed on their earnings expectations at the beginning of this year. You know, if you look at that sector in general, in terms of the value that it that it offers there, is, is that at the top of your list or near the top of 
your list for ones for value investors to be looking at. And be also good to get your comments. Of course, Curry's is a good uh, example. There, there's a, a takeover battle heating up for that company at the moment. You know, there, there's US private equity looking at the company. We've got JD.com. Uh, of course, not JD Sports, but JD.com, uh, the Chinese online retailer eyeing up curries as well. Is that just symptomatic of the value that we see across that sector? Well, I think firstly, when you, you know, the, the old adage of buy low, sell high isn't just good practice for retail investors. Um, it, it's something that every market participant looks to make the most of, and that includes M&A activity. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk when, you know, Rolls-Royce was messing around down at sort of 70, 80 P, would somebody bid for the company? You know, that 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 makes sense. Now here they are knocking on the door of four pounds again, albeit a bid uh, never materialised. But when you see uh, stocks down at these sort of beleaguered levels, trading at big discounts to former glory, um, they should be on everybody's radar. So I'm not surprised that, um, you know, Curry's um, has, um, you know, has, has come on the radar for, for bid speculation. Um, again, JD Sports trading at 118. I'm just seeing on my screen now, go back two years, it was twice the price at £2.40. Um, and what I... You know what I quite like about JD Sports, and and don't think I didn't um, I didn't pick up on your pun there, uh, Jonathan. You you said that they were expanding their footprint in the US. So uh, some somebody's had three coffees today, um, but um, you know th this is a stock very much aimed at you know the teens and the twenties. Um, you said you like the company. Um, you're, you're you're probably young enough to still get away with wearing a tracksuit, perhaps, but. Um, it, it is the, you know, it is the case that these guys are, you know, sort of privileged to uh, be in the position of having maximum spending power, you know, mum and dad are probably tearing their hairs out, uh, you know, with, with trying to meet mortgage payments and paying the gas and electric. Um, but, you know, the teens and 20s have got, you know, the spare money, the pocket money, the, 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 the limited um, commitments financially who can go and treat themselves. And, you know, there is, I suppose, culturally in that age group, um, you know, a keeping up with the Joneses kind of pressure to be, you know, wearing the latest gear and, uh, you know, looking looking good where, wherever it is that they, they hang around. Um, and, and they're, you know, they're in big with Klarna as well. Um, you know, personally, I'm, I'm not a great fan of, uh, of encouraging people to become indebted, especially for non-essentials like sportswear. But, you know, I, I, I anecdotally, I can uh, tell you that I, I frequented the store not long ago to get some trainers for my son. Um, and the first question I was asked at the counter is, did I want to pay or did I want to clarner it? Um, which was to spread out the payment over three installments for the next three months. Um, you know, I politely declined. Um, but I think that you can do that provided you're over 15 or 16 without any credit check. So, um, you know, morally, like I say, I, I'm, I'm, I'm opposed to that. But, you know, you, you could arguably go in there and walk out with a couple of hundred quid's worth of stuff uh, without having to put your hand in your pocket. So I do think that, you know, this sort of halving in value from... Uh, yesteryear and the recent decline just from uh, November, December last year from that one pound eighty level is something worth 
looking at. And for those who care to pull up the chart, you'll find rising support dating back over the last few years that intersects with a price of about £1.10, from which it has recently bounced, albeit eight pence to 118 so you know it ticks a few boxes for me um and and, and that's why i've chosen to highlight it today yes certainly going to be an interesting story going forward so we're going to finish off now mark by introducing a new service for the uk investor magazine collaboration with yourself and fno research so we're launching the the market navigator this week that's in addition to the uk investor magazine premium service so of course that brings in FNO's research it would be interesting uh, I think for listeners Mark if you could just give us a very brief introduction to to FNO of course in the notes of this podcast there will be some links through to some examples of FNO's uh, prior research and we can also get some more details over to people there'll be some information on how to do that but please Mark just just give us a brief breakdown into FNO please yeah, sure. Well, the the company and its um, and, and its personnel have been at the forefront of retail investor activity for the last twenty years plus, and so um, you know we we are familiar with uh, the community, um, how they tend to behave, what they want to see in terms of research material and, uh, and and the sort of indicators that they they like to receive. And I think in a market where you know, just every single day, and and, and I can and, and I can testify to this for for the amount of work that me and the team are having to put in every day. There's no shortage of topics that have to be included in our market roundups and briefings and technical notes. And it, it's one of those markets where I, I feel currently that you know you have a couple of days out and you return to things that look very different to when you last saw them. So I think a key to um, trying to achieve success and minimise mishaps is to stay close to the markets. But of course, the retail investor community are seldom professionals in markets and finance. They're professionals in whatever they do. But, you know, our clients come in all shapes and sizes. They could be electricians or solicitors or dentists or whatever it is. It's very rare that I speak to somebody and they say, oh, I'm a stock market professional. They're always otherwise engaged with whatever it is that they do for a living. So it's inevitable that these guys miss key data points, reporting dates, breaking news, all of the sorts of things that really you can't afford to miss. You know, one thirty today, for example, we've got key inflation data from the US. You can't really not be up on that print when it comes out. Um, but for some listeners, perhaps they might not have even known that that was due this afternoon. So you do need to stay close to the market. And we provide our subscribers uh, with a whole host of documents. They're um, deliberately brief. Uh, we try to keep things to a page at a time. We give you the headlines rather than all of the detail because that then becomes a job in itself to consume. Um, it starts at 7.30 in the morning with our uh, daily heads up, our note for the day. It will give you all of the hot topics, stocks that have reported, what's going to be in focus and what you should be aware of. Sets you up nicely, like I say, a five or ten minute read first thing in the morning. But there's lots of technical notes on there. Um, we warn uh, investors of charting developments that they should look to be trying to take advantage of. Uh, we produce reports on hot topics, sectors, themes. For example, we've just published our top picks for 2020 
for anybody that downloaded 2023 will be super excited to receive this because our top picks 2023 there were 11 stocks in there and they averaged um a northerly move of more than 40 percent so uh that was uh you know that was something to be really proud of can we match it this year well we'll have to see um i know that you're uh you're publishing a couple of the stocks from this year's report i believe so people can get their hands on that as well um i guess what i'm saying is that if you are in financial markets, be it a trader, long-term investor, if you want to stay close to developments and receive trading ideas, reports, you know, we're, we're talking about a special price that I'll let you uh, deliver to the listeners, Jonathan, but we've, we've, we've put this together at a deeply discounted rate for our audiences. Um, and as biased as I am, I'd say it's money very well spent. Indeed, indeed. As I said, to, to listen, do check out the notes of this podcast because there will be further information on that. So just to be clear, the Market Navigator brings together uh, Mark's FNO research uh, and the UK Investor Magazine premium content alongside exclusive tickets to events and complimentary tickets, including the one that we have at the London Stock Exchange uh, coming up on the 13th of March. Of course, as Mark just said, in the notes of this podcast, there's a link through to a snippet of the top 10 stocks that FNO produced for this year. Uh, there's two companies in there. It's two US companies. So do take a look in the notes and you'll be able to download that to get an idea and a feel uh, for those notes. So Mark, thanks very much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. And thank you very much to everyone for listening. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember all investment involves risk.